This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey there, friends, my Viral Jesus community. Welcome to season two of Viral Jesus. I cannot believe we're here. We are so excited to be back in your ears again. And I promise you, you are going to just love the amazing lineup of guests that we have this season. It is so good. And the conversations are so rich. You are absolutely going to want a notepad and a pencil and to just take notes and let this stuff fill your brain and help you grow. But before we start, I'd like to thank all of you who took time to respond to our listeners survey. Your feedback is helping us improve this podcast and help serve you better. I also have the pleasure of announcing the winners of our survey drawing. So congratulations to Maria Bennett and Joyce Hill. We hope both of you are enjoying your Amazon gift cards. Now for the moment I've certainly been waiting for. Let's just jump right in to season two of Viral Jesus. Sarah Vassi, welcome to Viral Jesus. And so I was like, well, I'll just deactivate for a wee bit. And then I went to go log back in again. And it turned out that if you don't log back in after 30 days, they delete your account. All the conversations, all the DMs, all the tweets um, for all those years. And those, you know, some of those were very precious to me. You know, they're gone. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Studies show the number one reason people buy a book is because they know the author. But in a world where I can scroll my phone and see literally thousands of people trying to get my attention, how do we allow ourselves to stand out? As a professor of communication at Andrews University, when people ask me what the field of communication even is, I say it's relationship building. Communication, in my definition, is the vehicle we use to build relationships with other people. So when we ask ourselves, how are we going to be able to get people to notice us online? We can't. Not unless we are willing to create deeply relational spaces where we use our communication to connect to the people around us. Our guest today is someone who does that brilliantly. Sarah Bessie is the best-selling author of Jesus Feminist and the international bestseller, A Rhythm of Prayer, which invites us to explore and grow in our faith in the wilderness experiences of life that we all go through. Through honest reflection about faith, fears, and community, she strives to create a community of hopeful believers and she has been extremely successful doing just that, which is why I am incredibly excited to share her with you today because Sarah is a person much more than she is a platform. So you were talking about how we constantly evolve and change, and I really feel that. And so sometimes I struggle because things that I've said are now in print or things that I said, you know, and even prior to 2016, I tell people don't even read anything I said prior to 2016. Um, but like my social media account, yours, it's up forever. And people kind of hold you to perhaps words that you said five years ago, in your case, eight years ago when Jesus Feminist came out. How do you feel about that as you keep changing 
and your views change and your thoughts change. And yet these words that we put out there are permanent. Oh, for sure. I started blogging back in 04. So like I'm one of the OG mom bloggers. Yeah. (laughs) You built this business, baby. (laughs) Hardly. (laughs) But there was this sense, I mean, and again, things were very different at that stage of you know, the internet, right? Because yeah. I mean, I was an early adopter on Twitter. I think I was in, in 2006 or 2007. And, um, you know, social media began to kind of pop up more. And it was funny because I started writing um, even before my eldest daughter was born. And for me, it was a place to process through a lot of those questions. It was nobody paid attention, right? right like it was just... Right. Nobody read my blog for probably the first six or seven years, except my sister. She will read anything that I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, in a lot of ways, that obscurity um, was a gift mm. because it meant that I got to um, write, I got to explore ideas, I got to build community. I was able to do all of that with very low stakes. And at the time, of course, when you're a writer or you're someone who wants to be a writer, it can feel frustrating. But that space um, became my altar to meet with God. And so by the time anyone was paying attention, um, that awareness and, and God and I had handled a lot of business right mm. by that by that point. And so this idea of like your transformation being held on the internet in some, you know, web cache forever mm-hmm. is utterly terrifying. Right. <laughs> but it still is this monument to this is what happens in a life. You know, it's the same thing with, um, you know, the books that you write. Um, You tell the truth as best as you know it in that moment, as best as you understand it. And hopefully you continue to grow and you continue to evolve and you continue to learn and be in good conversation. And even, you know, your your critics or critiques will sharpen you, Um, you know, and those things will be transformative. Um, And yet you can still honor and bless the old box that you needed for God too. Um, and deal tenderly with it and with the girl you used to be. I resonate. That is like a message I like to say to my students all the time because I know what it feels like to write for years and nobody care. And you don't see it when you're in it, what a gift that is, mm-hmm. you know? So can you just speak to that for a second? Because there's so many content creators who listen to the show. And that's the thing that they're all trying to figure out is where's the tipping pointer? I thought God called me to this. And then when it doesn't happen instantly, we think that we've misheard the call or there's something wrong, but I would lean into what you just said. It's your preparation time. He's allowing you to be formed without people watching you. And that's such a beautiful gift that you won't even realize until later. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I mean, I know that it's very complex and platform building is complex and there's a lot of um, outside influences or powers and principalities at work too. Right, <laughs> so right, those right. things are also a reality. Um, but I did feel like the space for those years to experiment um, and to write and to learn and to build relationship served me really well later um, when there were a lot more eyes on, on me or on my work, um, you know, on my relationships, on my family, um, you know, being able to work out a lot of those things, um, with a lower level, I think in a lot of ways, um, it helped me find my voice 
Mm. I think a lot of times, but I think especially maybe because I, I see myself mostly as a writer. Um, when you are first starting out and you feel like you have a message or you feel like a, you have a work that you want to do, um, the temptation is to try on other people's yeah. voice, yeah. right? And to um, see what fits and explore. And that's you know what? That's art. That's healthy. Mm-hmm, that's normal. Mm-hmm. That's a thing we all do. Listen, if you need to pretend you're Anne Voskamp for three years, go knock yourself out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but only Anne can be Anne. Right, <laughs> we right, need right. you to be you. And that space to be faithful to your craft, to be faithful to the work that God has called you to do, to be faithful to your people, um, will help you discover not only your voice, but your place, I think, in the kingdom of God, your work that's yours to do and what's not yours to do. Um, So that then when and if more people are paying attention, which is not necessarily a blessing, um, you will be very well grounded. You will know your voice. You will know your work to do. You will know how you show up in these spaces. And it won't be that you are battered back and forth by whatever winds of social media toxicity or joy and celebration um, comes your way, right? And so I think that that's, it has its benefits. And that long obedience, that faithfulness to your craft and to your work and to God when you are in, in obscurity is you know, it's, it's a beautiful place of cultivation and flourishing really. On November 7, you tweeted, I'm sad to say that due to a mix up, I have lost all 88,000 followers, my verification status, and so much of the corner of Twitter I worked to build since 2007. I'm starting over from scratch. Thanks for your patience, friends. Today, you are just under a month, I think, from when you posted that and you're verified again and at almost 22,000 followers, which is incredible how people have swarmed to support you that Mm -hmm. quickly. But can you share with us your experience and what you've had to relearn as you're relearning what this social media process looks like? Yeah, it was... um... It was funny because, I mean, I think a lot of people understood why that was sad for me or why that was something that would be, you know, upsetting. It was definitely a mix-up. It was one of those things where I... I really value Twitter as a conversation space. It's a very different platform than, you know, Facebook or um, or Instagram. It feels much more interactive and communal. I mean, it's where a lot of relationships and friendships that I've made over the years have flourished. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my deepest friendships began on Twitter, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's almost like another neighborhood in our lives right now. Right. And I think that... Um, because I valued that, I, you know, I went in and I uh, deactivated my account for what I thought was, you know, a short period of time because I was working on another project and I was like, I don't want people to think I'm not here, that I'm not mm. paying attention or that I'm, um, you know, not responding, right? Because I, I never feel like that's a, a great thing to just, you know, be firing down, mis- you know, whatever thoughts you have from the mountaintop and never actually engaging with people. Yes, And so I was like, well, I'll just deactivate for a wee bit. And then I went to go log back in again. And it turned out that if you don't log back in after 30 days, they delete your account. Mm. And so it was just gone. And, you know, I was so grateful for how people did rally and and a lot of people found me again. And even some people uh, who had some contacts at Twitter showed up and that's how they were able to like kind of quickly restore verification status. But you know what? It's gone. All the conversations, all the DMs, all the tweets um, for all those years. And those, you know, some of those were very precious to me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they're gone. 
And that's, that's fine. Um, in terms of like the stand, you know, the, the, you know, bigger perspective and whatever else, but there was definitely a sense of loss or grief to that. But at the same time, you know, you, you, you keep moving, right. And, and your people are find you and you try to find right. your people. I think that's where the patience part comes in for me. Cause I'm still finding, Oh, I haven't found this person yet. And you need right. to, you know, reconnect again. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been a slow, slow go for sure. But I mean, I don't know. There's a lot. I'm sure there's a lot of lessons to be hidden in that. So, uh, communication professors like yourself would be able to unpack more than I. Well, something you just said, actually, Sarah, I actually don't think a lot of people understand this about social media and you do. And I've noticed that people who are very good at it, they all have this understanding that social media is supposed to be social. Yes. And you just said that I'm away. I don't want people to think I'm ignoring them. And so I actually deactivated so that they knew that I just wasn't there. Is that something that just naturally you knew to do? How did you fully understand that? Or, or maybe it wasn't even intentional. Maybe it was subconscious for you just by how you communicate. But social media, the first word is social. And this is the first mm-hmm. thing I would say to somebody in a social media class. You have to be social. It's about building relationships, not building followers. Talk mm-hmm. to me about that as how you engage online as a relationship builder. Yeah, I think maybe this is where I was really well served by starting off in blogging, because um, I think especially the Christian blogosphere back in the mid-aughts, um, and even the mom blogging sphere, which I was kind of like had a foot in both worlds, um, was deeply relational, right? Like you you followed people's blogs daily, and you commented on it, and they commented on your stuff, and you you could presuppose relationship with mm-hmm. almost everything that you wrote. So if someone said something that you thought was bananas, you had context for everything else that was kind of going on. And so when when social media came along, um, in you know in particular Twitter, um, it felt like moving some of those conversations just to a different platform. And so in a lot of ways, uh, being an early adopter on Twitter, I had nothing to sell. Right. I had no, I had no, no book I was trying to promote. And I mean, I had never preached in my life. And I was, you know, working in marketing and in nonprofit development. And I was a young mom. And honestly, the best, the best gift for me of Twitter, especially for those first four or five years, was the social part. It was the relationships. It Mm. didn't feel like um, drive-by editorializing. It felt like connection. It felt like making friends. We would have larger conversations. And you would, in in a way, I think that Twitter and blogging and that social media aspect of things helped find writers and thinkers like myself um, a way past the gatekeepers. Yes. It was our way of finding each other. Um, This kind of more... Um, open media thing meant that the only people we used to hear from were maybe one particular type of person with one particular type of belief. And instead, all of a sudden, here's this happy, clappy mom from Western Canada, you know, and there were at the time, you know, there weren't a lot of women, um, you know, that were being able to speak into a lot of those issues around church and, and scripture and culture. And we were finding each other. And in a lot uh-huh. of ways, it was a huge relief because sometimes when you care about those sorts of things and you're engaged in that kind of work, you can feel very isolated. Uh, it can be lonely work at times. And then we found each other. And so that, I think, is part of the social aspect that I've never mm. been able to give up is this sense of like conversation, the sense of possibilities of connection, of proximity, 
um, of, of meeting people that otherwise maybe you never would have had a chance to meet. And so to me, that's been a huge part of platform building for better or for worse. Honestly, for me, it was, it's mostly been about relationships. So when you post online, like even just take this morning, is that something that, oh, this thought comes into my head and I'm going to post it? Or are you thinking earlier? Oh, I, I want to make sure I post. Do you have times that you post? What does your online content creation look like? Do you schedule it? Um, I wish I could say that I was one of the people who had a huge strategy for these things. I would probably be <laughs> a, a wiser person if I was, <laughs> but I am a very, um, I think I, I tend to give my best energy towards, um, writing, um, and then okay. towards, uh, leading evolving faith. And so for me, social media, um, is a place where I still get to be a person. Mm. Um, and so I've not really gone the influencer route, um, which maybe no judgment on that at all. That's right. just not, not being a, a path that I really felt, you know, called towards. Um, and so for me, I think that um, I tend to be very just led by wherever I am in the moment and led by my life, led by the conversations that we're having. Um, I don't schedule tweets. I don't do a whole lot of planning out, um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, for sure there's a marketing aspect of things, especially if you have a new book coming out or, you know, but even then, um, I don't know. I think for me, marketing and social media and platform building doesn't really feel gross because I feel very much like myself in that space. I don't feel mm. like I'm pretending. I don't feel like I'm saying anything that I wouldn't honestly say or honestly do or honestly even promote. And oftentimes I have felt like social media is a space where I get to shepherd my work so that it can mm. find the people that it's meant to find, that it can speak to the people who need to, to maybe hear that, uh, connect with people that I need to connect with and I need to be learning from. Um, and so, yeah, it, it feels like a very it can be a very fraught space. It can definitely have, you know, some dangers. And I have been on the other side of, you know, the, the mob at times, and that's never pleasant. Um, but at the same time, you know, for me, social media, Twitter, Instagram, you know, Facebook, all, all of it has been a place really for connection and relationship building and conversation. And so I haven't really, I take it very seriously, but I can't say that I build it strategically. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. So you said that prior to this, you took a break from social media. 
And I'm somebody who does a, I do a Sabbath from social media every single week. What is your thought process behind times that you need a break? Do you do that regularly? Is it just when you feel overwhelmed or when there's another project? How do you, how do you look at breaks from social media and why do you think they're necessary? No, I do think they're really necessary. I think that, um, <laughs> one of my big tells, I used to joke, this was, would have been probably about seven or eight years ago when my kids were little and I had, you know, uh, here we get a year of mat leave. And I remember I was up on mat leave with, I think my third and, you know, you're in the thick of it with little kids and, you know, it was winter and everything was very busy and, you know, you got your family and I was on Twitter and I, during nap time or something. And at the end of the day, my husband came home and I was all wound up about something that had happened on Twitter. Right? I was like, you will not believe what this, what this guy said on Twitter. And I went off for probably a good an hour. And it was like, later on that night, of course, he listened and was like, oh, gosh, this is absolutely bananas. Yes, of course. And later on that night, I was like, I just don't know that it's great if the only thing I'm upset about or care about all the time is what's happening on Twitter. <laughs> and right. So that was when I began to build in some more practices of like a pause, more practices of a Sabbath, um, and even some permission to not turn it into a treadmill or not feel like um, uh, a sense of scarcity, if that yes. makes sense, Heather. Like this it sense does. of like, if I'm not on Twitter, then I'm missing out. If I'm not chiming in on every single controversy, then what am I even here for? What sort of a social media person am I if I don't have a hot take on everything that scrolls across the feed? And you know what? Life doesn't allow for that a lot of times, right? You've got, you know, a life hopefully and, and you know, things that are going on. And so building in that kind of rhythm of permission meant um, for me not being afraid that I was missing out anymore. And trusting that God's abundance and that God's um, provision um, and that those relationships and conversations and uh, and friendships, um, when it was my work to do, then it was my work to do. But neither did I feel like I needed to shoulder all of it either. Yeah, I, I think that's... I said that well, but... No, I that makes perfect sense to me and i'm somebody that will often check my motivations so right. if i if if my if i feel like i'm posting something cuz i feel like oh this is going to get a lot of reactions i won't do it cuz then i feel like i've lost integrity between god and i and mm -hmm. that's kind of what i'm hearing from you is this that need to always show up to build something other than when it comes from that natural, authentic place of, oh, I feel like the spirit is leading me into this conversation. And how do you, for you, how do you know the difference? Um, yeah, I think that that's, a, that's an interesting part of it. I mean, because I mean, a lot of times social media can also be places where you're just goofing off, right? Where everybody's, right. you know, chiming in on something and having a few laughs or, you know, you have those watch parties on, you know, award nights or something or, you know, like just those kinds of things are also part of building relationship. I've, I've kind of over the years gotten really wary or maybe more weary of people who are just like always on message. Always the same. Yes. It's like, <laughs> are you never not a person? Do you never right. have like, you know, sometimes it's nice just to have those, um, you know, aspects and conversations in there as well. And I think that that's maybe you know, part of it is um, not forgetting to be a person. Yeah. Right. In those spaces that we're not just content creators and we're not just an outrage machine, um, that we're not just a brand, right? That we are, we're people, right? I'm going to, so this is a post from your Instagram 
you, it, I don't know if you wrote it or you're just sharing it, but it says, I don't watch scary or traumatic or violent movie shows. Origin, me being a big, tender baby who knows her limits. Miss me with the Game of Thrones and Sopranos and Breaking Bads. You can call it prestige TV all you want. I'm not watching it. Good for you, but decidedly not for me. And I felt very <laughs> seen by this post because I'm somebody, I try to be very conscious of the things that I watch. I, I My dissertation was on storytelling, so I read a lot of neuroscience and it just changed how I see and consume media. But I think what's, and obviously we're not shaming anybody in what they choose to watch. People can do whatever they want. But I wanted to share this particular post because I think a lot of people won't even listen to what you say because they'll say, oh, Sarah Bessie, she's liberal agenda. (laughs) And yet this post is quite the more conservative take. And so I wanted to ask you, why are you careful with the type of media you consume? Um, yeah, that's, (laughs) that it's one part like self-preservation probably. It's not so much ideological. I I think that, um, you know, it had its origins for me that, that whole, um, idea of, um, when my kids were small, um, and, you know, just this idea of needing to guard your gates that your eyes and your ears and your mind are, can be your gates. And so again, I have zero judgment and I, I understand as well that this is also great art that I'm often missing. (laughs) I've made, I have made my peace with these things, but at the same time, when there is, um, I have seen that I'm someone who is easily influenced, that it changes how I think it changes how I see people. Um, it doesn't bring a lot of joy and peace to me personally. And so, you know, that's, that was an easy easy step for me. And it wasn't from a standpoint of, you know, legalism or fundamentalism or, you know, making rules for anyone else as much as it was just this sense of like, I have, you have permission, right? You have permission to, to build those things that work for you. And I think that that, um, that social media uh, meme was actually lifted out of a larger essay that I wrote for my newsletter that was about your personal policies. I got you just, you just can have a personal policy. And one of mine is, hey, I don't watch this stuff. It doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve my heart, my mind, my soul, my time. And so you know what? I don't really need to justify that for anyone anymore. This is just, a, I have a personal policy and that's one of mine. <laughs> right. I have to ask you, how do you decide who you follow? What goes into that thought process for you when you click follow on somebody? What typically makes you do that? Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily have a huge amount of um, of you know thought process around it. I follow a lot of people who you know um, I think very differently from, right? Who we practice our faith very differently. Um, we've come to very different conclusions about oftentimes um, you know major major issues of controversy. And then there's people I follow just because it's fun because I love hockey and I like the Great British Bake Off and I like, you know, and so having these kinds of different conversations, all showing up in your feed, having, um, you know, a a good balance of the wholeness of who you are. Um, I think for me, I tend to follow people that I want to learn from or um, who I know that I could benefit from their voice in my ear. Um, who's having or, or stewarding or participating in conversations that I think really matter. Um, but of course, I'm still rebuilding that. <laughs> right, right, right. Point. And so I'm, I know I'm missing some people and I'm, you know, still trying to kind of rebuild a lot of that. But 
this is people's time. Shoot your shot with Sarah. She is right. looking for, for new real. people to follow. Come, come um, find me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying out this new thing this season where I ask people on Twitter, if they were to sit down with the person I'm talking to, what questions would they want to ask? And so I asked people that about you. And I just want to read this one. What you make it said, I don't have a question, but I just wanted to pass on my gratitude about how she speaks on motherhood and connects it to her relationship with God and her faith journey. She puts something I have experienced in my own motherhood into words so beautifully. So I just want to thank Mm -hmm. you for that. But Courtney Ellis, and we love Courtney Ellis here. Um, She wants to know, how do you navigate the tension between speaking prophetically and practicing kindness? I don't believe the two are mutually exclusive by any means, but she often, you, do such a beautiful job of walking the line between those two. Well, that's nice to hear. Yeah, right? I don't know that I always do. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Courtney. (laughs) I I think for me... um, you know, there's probably a lot of things that influence that, um, you know, your personality or, you know, um, context, you know, kind of the the way that you are, you know. Uh, but for me, um, one thing that that has deeply shaped and shifted, not just how I show up on social media, but how I wanted to show up, I think, pr- pretty much in every area of my life, um, is it's not enough for me just to be against things. Mm. That I have to be able to name what I'm for. Mm. And um, that shift of not just, and again, it's not to say it's not important. It's not an either or situation. You need to be able to name what you're against. You need to be able to call out. I mean, listen, I'm from a charismatic background. So I'm like, listen, I'm all here for the, you know, testing down of powers and principalities. Like let's rock and roll. So yeah, that's not a problem. (laughs) I think the invitation though, is to say, um, what am I for? Mm. What is it that I'm wanting to be building? What is it I'm wanting to be creating? What is it, um, the invitation even from the Holy Spirit to co-create this with God, um, to participate in the kingdom of God? Um, And that has deeply shaped how I show up in those spaces. And, you know, the other thing that probably messed me up the most was realizing that even if I think I'm right, which, of course, we all think we're right. (laughs) 99% of the time, I am right, but it's fine. This is the nature of it. We all think we're right. (laughs) But even if I am positive that I am right, that doesn't mean I get a pass on the fruit of the Spirit. Mm. You know, and and even especially if I'm convinced that I'm right on whether it's a theological issue or a political point or anything else, I still have to show up in these spaces embodying love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and even on social media, self-control. And I think that 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 posture for me has helped shape how I want to speak into uh, complicated things and difficult things, um, issues of justice, issues of inclusion uh, and wonder, um, issues of scripture. I mean, whatever it is that we're wanting Mm -hmm. to talk about, we've got to be able to approach it from that rootedness and our our belovedness in God, which creates this flourishing, which creates this kind of, which bears this kind of fruit out in your life. And so I think that those two things are probably two of the big North stars for me. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, you know, ministry work, vocations, social media across the board is, you know, we've got to be able to name what we're for, not just what we're against. Um, and am I, am I able to embody the fruit of the spirit here, which again can be hit or miss. <laughs> I can't, can't claim that I do this well all the time. At Spice Dolchis asked, 
What would you say to an aspiring young author and what are some keys to building a great network? Hmm. Um, I think probably the things I would say to a young author in terms of, you know, wanting to, to write and, and whatever else is, is simply to, to write to write almost every day, to write your way into your voice, write your way into your passions, write your way into um, what it is that you believe God has called you to do. Um, there's one of the things that I think is really hard as a writer is to not feel like you need to hold on to things and save them for for when it really matters, right? And instead, I've kind of taken the standpoint of just, I think it was Annie Dillard who said, you know, to spend it all. Um, mm. And so when it comes to your writing, um, spend it all, right? Mm. Trust that the abundance of God and that, that, that writing and art is almost like manna, right? There'll be enough yes. again tomorrow. And so being able to write well, read well, pay attention, be curious, you know, those are things I think that really serve you well when you're uh, starting off as an author. Um, but then on the terms of platform building, um, I think that a lot of the conversation we've had so far, Heather, honestly, would probably be my advice, which is don't look at it as a marketing tool or as a megaphone. Look at it as relationships, that it is conversation. Find people to be in conversation with. I think sometimes in social media, I've had this um, some of these conversations with my kids when they were younger of talking about how like in, when it came to friendships – You'd see, you know, the cool kid or the popular kid or the one who had all these people and you'd think, well, I want to be with that group and I want to be with those people. But your job is to look for who's lonely. Yeah. And your job is to look for so um, good, Sarah. For the people at the other tables that maybe don't. And so even though the instinct on social media is to flock to the people who have all the followers and you think that this is what your your ultimate goal and aim is, that may happen. That's great. But I find that the people who cultivate their corner of the internet with other people who are interested in conversation, who are interested in the same things they're interested in, who care about, you know, whether it's... Um, you know, uh, advocacy or activism or justice or Doctor Who, like find your people and be in conversation with them. And it will just continue, your table will continue to grow as you invite more and more people into that space. Um, I think that sometimes we can, we can think that it's about if we can get those really big connections right out the gate that we'll be all set. But if you are faithful to cultivate good relationships with, with good people online, it just continues to grow. It really does. Almost every major friendship or connection that I've had over time, it all happened through friendship and through relationship and through conversation. And I'm so grateful for that. I never have felt, um, it's not, it never never feels good to be used. right? Right. Sarah Bessie is a New York Times best-selling author. Her most recent book is an international bestseller, A Rhythm of Prayer. Thank you, Sarah, so much. I want to—I started this new thing where I want to ask every single person who comes on the show this final question. Virtually all credible historians, Christian and non-Christian alike, agree that there is plenty of evidence that a man named Jesus actually lived and walked this earth 2,000 years ago. Our show is called Viral Jesus. How can we, 2,000 years later, best communicate who Jesus was and what his mission is today? Hmm. That is a good question to ask people. <laughs> I think so too, right? It I think that's a so great question. Well. What is this timeless message? How do we share it? That, I think, is one of the things that maybe most changed and shifted my faith 
um, maybe even 15 years ago, was really actually, it was at a time of deep deconstruction for me, my first real experience with it. Um, And I remember being like, I can't call myself a Christian anymore because these people Mm. are crazy. Mm. (laughs) I don't want to be affiliated with this any longer. So I started calling myself a follower of Jesus thinking, that, of course, that that made a huge difference. <laughs> I It doesn't, but I needed this space right, <laughs> in right. my heart. But I remember having this moment, um, gosh, you know, 15, 16 years ago of being like, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus. I should probably figure out what that means and who Jesus is. Because it's, I had been very discipled in like church. Um, there was a writer at the time, he was, we used to call him the internet monk. His name was Michael Spencer. He's passed away since then, but he used to call it churchianity. Mm. And so this sense of like following Jesus, what does it mean to follow Jesus, getting to know Jesus really reset so many broken bones um, for me when it came to my faith of seeing like, well, this is, this is worth following. This is worth building a life on. This is worth dropping your nets and chasing after. This is worth breaking the alabaster jars and spending the perfume and doing the thing because this is this is amazing. And he's amazing. And following and living a life shaped by Jesus is amazing. And so I think that that to me would be maybe the answer. Uh, it has gotten me in so much trouble, Heather. <laughs> it's gotten me. It has reset my life. It has reset my politics, my opinions, my theology, my parenting, my marriage, my practices, how I show up in the world, how I spend my money. All these different things have been reset by wanting to follow Jesus, by yearning to follow Jesus, however imperfectly I do that. And yet, at the same time, I think that that's maybe the invitation 2,000 years later is what does a life shape like Jesus look like? Mm. What, what does it look like? to embody that kind of welcome and love and inclusion and wholeness, um, that sort of beauty and um, wonder even. Um, and so to me, I think that's my best effort at answering that question is to really ask ourselves, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And then actually try to stumble along after the rabbi. What does it look like to follow Jesus and then actually try to do it? Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on Viral Jesus. We like to end every episode with a little segment I call Growing Viral. And this is where I give you some direct strategies you can implement into your real life that will help you be a better communicator and connector both online and off. Here is your Growing Viral homework. If you remember, Sarah didn't start her social media to sell a book. She did it to connect with people she had built relationships with in the blogosphere. That's what I want you to do. Don't look at how you can show up online as a way to promote your product. Show up online as a person who is ready to connect relationally to other people people. Before you come back next week, I want you to have written down five accounts of people who you admire that are in the space that you'd like to be in. So if you're a writer, look up five writers who you admire and have a good social media presence. If you're a podcaster or a YouTuber or a teacher or a pastor, even if you're just a person of deep faith who loves connecting with others about the gospel, look up five accounts of people who are doing that very well and that you think could teach you how to do it better. And then 
then I want you to start engaging with their people in their comments. I want you to use social media the way it is supposed to be used socially. I want you to pursue like-minded people who are into the same stuff you are into and just for the next week, build relationships in someone else's comment section. Whenever I think about my communication choices, I think, how is this going to help me be a better relationship builder? And especially as a Christian, I know that I may be the only Christian on someone else's feed. How I communicate with others matters and how you communicate with other people matters. Let's use social media the way it was intended to be used socially. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and rate us on your preferred platform. Next episode, we talk to someone who will have made me the coolest professor in the world with my student, Sadie Robertson-Huff. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.